the uh, new um, our current edition of our church magazine, The Clarion, and I hope you've, most of you who want have seen and got a copy, the, the current edition of Clarion um, says there's lots of changes going on, a lot of uncertainty around, and so there is pleased to say that we got word this week of a meeting organized by the Mission Planning Group for Reps from East Kilbride Churches to discuss what might be the future plans for ministry in the town. Um, the meeting's at the end of the month, but don't expect any decisions soon. Um, it's, a, it's a meeting for discussion, it's a meeting to sound things out, and as well as that, there's a lot more areas in the presbytery to take into account before a plan is produced. But things are moving. There are still uncertainties caused by COVID. Um, quite a number of folks not here this morning for that very reason. And while there is to be significant change in the regulations from a week tomorrow, as a church community, we must still be taking care I'm sure you still realise, too, there are different viewpoints that some feel safer than others. Exercise care. In terms of the war in Ukraine and its far-reaching implications, what can we do? Well, we can donate, and we had a retiral offering last week. We can offer hospitalities should any refugees get this far. It's been made difficult. I'm appalled at the government's declaration that you get £350 a month for refugees. It's scandalous that they think we have to be enticed by money to be hospitable. I think it's a disgrace. Yeah, we got a, a, an email this week for, um, from a group looking for uh, one Ukrainian in the Glasgow area to be um, housed. And there were over a thousand offers Long before there's 350 quid a month, I find it deeply insulting that uh, that's how we're regarded by the government. Shocking. One of the 15 charities um, involved in the Disaster Emergency Committee is Tear Fund. And at our evening service this evening, Graham McMeekin, the head of Tear Fund Scotland, is coming and Amongst other input that he has, he'll be providing information from Tier Fund, one of these charities, about the involvement in the relief effort and work in Ukraine. It's a lot of change. It's a lot happening. It's a lot of upheaval. But I want to say that the Christian gospel itself is rooted in tumultuous times. It was a diktat that, about a census that had Mary and Joseph traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem, even though Mary was about to give birth. Soon after that birth, there was the barbaric murder of innocent children ordered by Herod. And Jesus and his family were refugees in Egypt. Israel remained through Jesus' life under foreign rule. And there were plenty of diseases, natural disasters, and executions. We read of them in the Gospels. And I actually think it's one of the strengths of the Christian Gospel that it did begin in such tumultuous times. If the Gospel had been rooted in, in a time when everything was easy and everything was safe, how would we ever know that it could withstand the bufferings of 
human life? How would we know that God was concerned enough to stay with us and to stick with us when the world was going so spectacularly wrong? But we can know that. We do know that. That was the situation, the context into which Jesus was born. And beyond its beginning in Jesus' time as the church spread, there was so much against it. Humanly speaking, it's remarkable that the church of Jesus survived, far less grew into so large and so world-changing a movement. It had no benefactors, had no, had no big money behind it. There was no privileges given to it. In fact, the, the opposite, they were often persecuted. And so on and so on. And yet the church grew. And when we look at the current situation in the Western world, we see a number of unpromising factors We see upheaval, we see opposition to Christ's ways, to his morals that are, and morals that are far removed from the gospel and so on. And we should remember Christianity's roots in these difficult times and recognize that if the Christian faith grew because God was at work, and if we have the very same God with us today, And if his power has not diminished, his batteries aren't running out, then it's possible that the decline that we are used to in the Western church is not necessarily inevitable and has not left us in an impossible situation. It's not necessarily the case that we simply have to go along until we fizzle out altogether. For if we believe that the well-being of the church is the work of God, and that he is still at work in the world, and that his power is undiminished, all is not lost. The church worldwide is still growing very quickly. But what about us? Where does the church in the West find itself? And what can possibly be done about it? Well, the series that we are doing just now is based around vows that we take on membership at Claremont. And these vows, these promises set out the expectations and responsibilities to one another and to God, whose church we are part of. They set out what it means to take Jesus seriously. They are not new ideas or ways so much as a calling the church back to her roots, uncovering our foundations. And we believe that the survival of the church in the West depends on that. We have to recover some of the urgency, the commitment, the experience of God, the dependence on God that were marks of churches that have not only survived but grown in difficult eras. Not just the early church all these hundreds of years ago. The church today in places like China and Iran. Growing churches. Now so far we have looked in this series at the expectation of meeting God in our worship. About growth and discipleship. About committed giving and Bible reading and prayer. 
And then we looked at sharing and serving in the body of Christ. The third section of the vows is about sharing the Lord's message. Living his way, loving his people, and then sharing his message. And we have a number of points underneath that. The first of which is by praying for the congregation's growth. So one, do you want the church to grow? Well, presumably, you might be thinking that's too obvious a question. Of course we want it to grow. Wouldn't it be good if it grew? Hold on. (laughs) It's not quite that obvious sometimes. Not very long ago, I was speaking to someone who is a member of a congregation in Glasgow, a congregation that is growing and doing very well. And she talked to me of how hard she was finding it to seeing her church being taken over by strangers. (laughs) It was growing, but hold on a minute. (laughs) I could tell you of other instances of folks saying they want it to grow, but, well, if it means doing that, forget it. It is not always obvious that we want the church to grow. In theory, we we say yes right away, but hold on, the church growing might mean people coming who see things differently, who are a bit different, who want things to be be different. Do we still want it to grow then? I almost put it up, but my favorite cartoon from Leadership Magazine, a magazine that went for years, was of uh, the youth pastor in a Baptist church talking to um, somebody and saying, oh, it was fantastic. We had 19 young people baptized at the service last Sunday evening. And um, an elderly lady is walking past as he says this. And uh, she says, yes, and they left a ring mark around the baptistry. (laughs) Shocking. Growth doesn't mean more coming like us who, who want to be like us and so on. It's not so obvious. Do we really want the church to grow if that means change? Or do we expect the church to grow? Our lifetime experience in the church in the West is one of decline. Is that inevitable? Can it be reversed? And that raises the question about do we just do what we were doing before? They say the definition of insanity is to keep on doing the same thing and expecting different results. I'm not quite sure that's fair to the insane. I think keeping on doing the same thing and expecting different results is more likely to be the indication of stupidity. Why is it going to be different after doing, doing, doing? Come on, there's a... And so the question about expectation is to throw us back onto, is it God's church and his way and looking for him to work? So then does God want the church to grow? Well, it seems so, doesn't it? Jesus sent his followers out into the world to make disciples among all nations. And the first of our readings that Leslie read this morning in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looked in the crowds and he had compassion on them. And he said to his disciples, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Look at them. They need the gospel. Send, pray for it. 
He wants the church to grow. But then does God expect the church to grow? Well, the imagery of growth, and we see some of that in the other reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. God is committed to growing his church. Jesus' parables, for example, were often pictures of growth, of seeds and yeast and so on. Right from the creation story onwards, when God committed people to to go into the world and, and multiply. He's been a God looking for growth, and it was to be the outcome of Jesus' coming. Some of the prophecies, such as in Isaiah 9, are about how his rule will extend throughout the world. So yes, God does expect the church to grow. But of course, to say that God wants and God expects the church to grow is not the same as saying that it will grow in every instance and in every particular. Both the history of Israel through the Old Testament and the experience of the Christian church of the last 2,000 years show that that is not the case. There are places in our world where the church was once very, very strong. And I'm not so much meaning the Western world here. I'm places in North Africa, for example, um, where the church was once very, very strong, but isn't so anymore. So we cannot be sure of any and every particular, which is why we're saying that all members at Claremont should pray for the growth of the church. It is not something to take for granted. But pray we should because this is God's work. Now in Corinth, and the second reading was 1 Corinthians, in Corinth there was a bit of a stushy going on about whether Paul was better than Apollos or Apollos was better than Paul. Both had been involved in establishing the church, both had ministered there, but factions had formed around two of them, much to Paul's and presumably to Apollos's too, disgust. It was not about them. And Paul makes the point in, the, in the, uh, chapter 3 by saying that while he planted the seed and Apollos watered, it is God and only God who can make things grow. And so the second half of verse 6 and the second half of verse 7 are making exactly that point. God has been making it grow, but only God who makes things grow, says the Apostle. And referring back to the reading in Matthew, Jesus tells his followers to pray to ask the Lord of the harvest. It's a recognition that it's God's work. By ourselves, we cannot make the church grow. We need God to be doing that, and so we ask him. If I want to buy some meat, I go to the butchers, not the opticians. If I want to discuss a concern about my health, I go to the doctors, not the florists. If I want my car serviced, I go to a garage, not to the theatre. If I long for the church to grow, I pray. Why? It's God who gives the growth. It's God who makes things grow. We might think of new strategies of 
numerous gimmicks or dressing up her message in the ways that suit society today, but none of that will cause the church to grow. It's about death becoming life. It's about darkness to light. It's God's work. And so we need to ask. Because although it's God's work, and while it's God's work, God in his wisdom and in his grace involves people. And Paul makes that clear in the first part of verse uh, 6 and verse 7. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, only God who makes things grow, verse 7. But there was still planting and, and watering to be done. And in Matthew 9.38, Jesus says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, what? To send out workers into his harvest field. That is, he didn't say, Ask the Lord of the harvest to simply zap people where they are. He said, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out. Because that's how the gospel is going to spread. That's how the, the message is going to be passed on. That's how there is going to be growth of the, of the Jesus movement. The mission of God in the world was not going to grow without servants through whom God was at work. We have in recent years here at Claremont promoted Thy Kingdom Come to an encouragement during the season from um, Easter Angus to, to Ascension to be praying for um, non-Christian friends. We've issued copies in the past of Try Praying, a booklet for the non-religious to pass on and try it out. There are some folks involved in Ask Trios where we encourage and support one another in, in praying for others to come to faith. Now why? Because without God, we cannot. And without us, he will not build a church. There are many reasons for church decline in the Western world in our lifetime. But chief among them is that we've not spoken to God enough about others coming to faith. And we've not spoken enough to others about God. I'm absolute rubbish as a gardener. I have little idea how and why different plants and seeds grow and produce flowers or fruit and veg or whatever. God has given each, it seems, their different capacity and they follow his ways. I have not seen gooseberries on an apple tree or crocuses on a rose bush. The general rule seems to be that healthy ones grow and unhealthy ones do not. It's a bit like churches. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth, verses 6 and 7 in 1 Corinthians 3. That is, our, our role is to provide the right conditions for growth. So have we been doing that? Have we wanted the church to grow? Have we expected the church to grow? I want meat, I go to the butchers. I want my car serviced, I go to the garage. 
I want the church to grow. I ask God. So, do our prayer lives reflect that? Do our prayer lives reflect that we want the church to grow or that we expect the church to grow? Do our prayer lives reveal that we believe it's a work of God to bring people to faith in Jesus and to grow his church? Do our prayer lives reveal that we are serious about that? We had three at our prayer meeting before the service this morning. One final thing. I've concentrated today on church growth in terms of people coming to faith and beginning the adventure to follow him. Growth is not just about numbers. God wants, God expects us to grow in numbers, but yes, he also wants and expects us to grow in our faith and in our ministries. And the Apostle Paul is a great exemplar here as well. Often in the first chapter of his various letters, he tells the church that he has been praying for them, been praying regularly and and often, he says. And he says what he's been praying for. And if we were to read in the first chapter of Ephesians or the first chapter of Philippians or the first chapter of Colossians, for example, and it's worth doing that, I I recommend it. If we read there, you will see how the apostle prays for the church. And he's not just praying that their budgies will be okay or that they'll pass the exams, these may be suitable things to pray for, but he's really praying them on in the faith. He's praying them on in terms of their participation in the kingdom of God because he believes that's worth it. So pray for the growth of the church. Pray for the growth of the church in terms of our godliness and our service as well. Here, you don't even have to come up with the right words for yourself. Open your Bible at Ephesians 1, Philippians 1, or Colossians 1, and use use one of those prayers to pray for the church. I promise you, God is not going to say, I've heard that one before. Yeah, lazy slob, go and do your own work. He's not going to, I promise you, he's not going to do that. So if you're struggling to say, how do, how do I pray for the church? How do I really prove it, pray it on? Ephesians 1, Philippians 1, and Colossians 1, amongst others, have got very, very good examples. So pray for the church, not once, but regularly. Now, this is not some advanced course in discipleship. This is really foundational. This is basic. This is the bread and butter of the Christian gospel and Christian living. Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. In tumultuous, unfriendly, unkind, difficult circumstances and situations, the then Roman Empire was turned upside down by a movement that had absolutely nothing, humanly speaking, going for it. No great leaders, no great organization, no infrastructure, no benefactor. And it grew as Paul and others planted, as Apollos and others watered, 
God gave the growth. It's about God and his work. And it's because it's about God and his work. And because he believes it. And because he wants us to believe it. So, that first step we say in sharing the Lord's message is to pray for the congregation's growth. A couple of weeks ago, um, we gave out free copies of um, this book, Forgiven, um, series of short readings to be done through Lent, particularly want to encourage folks who have not been used to reading Scripture on their own. Um, we can do that, and, and, it, and it works. It matters. It's important. Of course, the author, Tim Chester, is expecting us to be reading this on our own, we do, and therefore his reflections are personal at the end of each reading. But here's today's. When your progress seems slow, or you're wondering whether Christianity really works, don't give up. Instead, look up. See your priest, heavenly priest in a heavenly sanctuary, for he's talking from Hebrews of our access to God. When your progress seems slow, and it, and it seems to me that, that that's true not just for us as individuals, but, but true for the church. When progress seems slow, and goodness sake, it has been in the Western world for 60 years. When progress seems slow, or you're wondering whether Christianity really works, and we must have wondered that over that time I have, don't give up. Instead, look up. Pray for the growth of the church here and elsewhere both in numbers. Numbers are not everything, but they're not nothing either. And as well as praying for numbers, pray for that growth in our faith, our confidence in the gospel, that we might continue to participate in his work in a way that honors him. Let us pray.